الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له يقول الحق وهو يهدي السبيل وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد We're going to inshallah ta'ala take the biography of al-imam al-nasai rahimahullah al-imam al-nasai and we're also going to speak about his sunan what is sunan nasai have an understanding of it inshallah ta'ala and next week we will talk about sunan ibn majah and then we have an exam after that, inshallah ta'ala. And once we finish Sunan ibn Majah, we would have finished bi-idhnillahi al-kareem all of the what? All of the six books of Sunnah, you might, you have an understanding of it. You then should try to go and read more into it. Al-Imam al-Nasai, his kunya, his kunya is Abu Abdul Rahman. Al-Imam al-Nasai, his kunya. Do you know what a kunya is? Is when you're attributed to a child. See what I said? It's when you're attributed to a child. It doesn't have to necessarily be what? It may not even be your child. You may not even have ever got married in your life. Our mother Aisha was called Ummul Mu'minina. She was called Abu Umm Abdullahi. She was called what? She was called Umm Abdullahi. But she never was with children. Um, rather, the Prophet ﷺ, he gave the kunya to a young kid, a young child. What did the Prophet call him? What did he call him? Aba? Aba Numair, he said, Ma fa'ala nugair. Imam al-Bukhari, chapter the Bab, the permissibility of giving a kunya to a child, a little kid. It was, a, it was the Arab's culture to give a kunya to the person. Even if you don't have a child, just to have a kunya. Al-Imam Al-Nasai, his kunya is Abu Abdul Rahman. His name is, that's his kunya. His actual name is Ahmed. His name is Ahmed ibn Shu'ayb ibn Ali ibn Sufyan ibn Bahar ibn Dinar al-Khurasani. Al-Nasai. So all you need to know is, his name is, his kunya is Abu Abdul Rahman. His kunya is Abu Abdul Rahman and his name is Ahmed and his father's name is Shu'ayb. Al-Imam al-Nasai was born fi Madinati Nasa. Fi Madinati? Fi Madinati Nasa. He was born in a Medina called Nasa. We will touch on this place called Nasa. Why was it given this name? Where is it currently? We'll speak about that. Lakin, he was born in that Medina. 
Medina to Nasa. And he was born when the year was 215. 215 is when he was born. And this is the view of the A'imma from them, and Imam al-Dhahabi rahimahullah, and Imam al-Sakhawi. And Imam al-Dhahabi and Imam al-Sakhawi both believed that this was when he was born. Rather, it's transmitted from him himself that this is when he was born. But when he did transmit it that this was when he was born, he didn't make it with what? Certainty. He didn't say, this is exactly when I was born. But he said, roughly. Uh, I said something very I said something important last lesson or I don't know if it was a lesson before that I mentioned that these individuals were not known when they were first born if you're nothing no one would want to know when you were born when you're dying and when you die it becomes what a significant day in the calendar are we all together brothers? And that is an indication to show that when you come into this world you haven't come with anything yet. But when you leave your coming to this world should not be waste of time and space and oxygen. And all you've come with in this world is you've left your dead corpse and your feces. And you've not brought any khair or good to this world. Whatever majal, whatever uh, field it may be. Some people may even bring a worldly benefit to the Muslims. That's, a, that's khair in, in, in its way as well. But to be somebody who brings khair and good. So this is the strongest opinion, is that he was born this 215. Where did we say he was born in? Medina to? Medina to Nasa. This Medina to Nasa is in Akhiru Khurasan. It's at the ending of Khurasan. Okay? And it's on the northwest of Khurasan. So if you get the old map, it's on the northwest of Khurasan, which is very close to Ashimaliyatul Garbiya, northwest, which is very close to Khawarizma, which currently today. It's in Turkmenistan. Uh, Turkmenistan. That's where it is. Currently, that's where it falls in. It's very close to the capital of Turkmenistan. About approximately five miles. Why is it given this name? This place, why is it called Nasa? And why is it called an Nasa'iyu? We know that the word an Nasa'iyu it means female, Nisa, woman. What's the significance of this name? Where did it come from? First of all, there's two dabt, there's two ways of saying it. The first one is the one that we all know is saying an Nasa'iyu. That's one way of saying it. There's another way of saying it which is An-Nasawiyu An-Nasawiyu The first one is the most common 
which is An-Nasa'iyu, that's the most common. And the second one was mentioned by Sam'ani in his Kitab Al-Ansab. An-Nasa'iyu, An-Nasa'iyu. He said, why was this Balad? Why was it called uh, this name? Al-Nasa'iyu uh, Al-Nasawi. Why was it called Al-Nasa? Al-Imam Al-Sam'aniyu, he said, Al-Imam Al-Sam'aniyu, he said, the reason why it was called this name is al-Islami, in the early beginning of Al-Islam, when the Muslims wanted to conquer Al-Nasa, Islam was spreading, it was taking over lands. When it came to this place, and they wanted to open it, they found that the men were absent. The men were not there. And the women were there, and the women were fighting. The women were trying to fight. And in our religion, we're not allowed to fight with what? We're not allowed to fight with the women. So the Muslims, they withheld. They withheld from what? Anil Harbi fighting. Because The women are not fought Women are not fought So they delayed from fighting That's one view Another view that it mentions The reason why it was called Nasa is because The men never used to fight at all The men were not strong And who was strong? The women were fighters the women were warriors, they used to fight. And so this is why it was called An Nasa. Al Imam al Nasa'i ta'ala, he spent the second portion of his life in Egypt. I will speak about that in more details. He left it and he went to Palestine. We'll see why he did that, Rahimahullah. And he died in Palestine. Palestine in Ramallah. He died in where? Philistine, Ramallah. Al-Imam al-Nasa'i. Let's talk a bit about Al-Imam al-Nasa'i's personality, how he looked, what type of person he was. Al-Imam al-Nasa'i, as I mentioned, he grew up a nasha'ah ilmiyya. He's growing up, he's nurturing his father, nurtured him upon knowledge. Ilm. The importance of knowledge. His father and his family members, they pushed in his heart this وَطَلَبَ الْعِلْمَ فِي صِغَرِهِ and he sought knowledge at a very young age and he took the basic and the foundation of knowledge and this is something very important which is a student of knowledge should not at the beginning restrict himself to a particular science don't do that to yourself if you want to learn the religion, open your heart and mind to what? All of the signs. And don't restrict yourself to what? Don't restrict yourself to one science. That can be something you could do later maybe. Later in your life you can specialize in one of the fields. But first of all, put your leg into grammar, study that. Go to fiqh, study it. Go to usul al-fiqh, study it. Go to Ulum al-Qur'an and Tajweed and Qira'at, look into it. Go to all of the sciences and of course, in your heart there's going to be one science Allah gives you 
love towards it and you're more passionate about that science, then you can specialize in that science. Well, the poet he said, من كل فن خذ ولا تجهل به فالحر مطلع على الأسرار. All science. All of knowledge take from it. So this is what he did. By the time he was 15, brothers, 15, 15 years of age. What are our 15-year-olds doing? Playing games, huh? They know the different players and they're on the, playing games. That's, look how Imam Nisa'i, at his time, the type of people they were. 15, he was ready to travel. Travel in what? He took the basics that were needed. He knew the Quran, he knew Arabic, he knew this, he knew that. He was ready. He was prepared to go and leave his household and travel the world and to get knowledge. Rahimahullah, rahmatan wasi'ah. And so he did. He traveled to seek knowledge. And traveling to seek knowledge is after you mastered the book of Allah. Hifz, itqan. You know it like the back of your hand. As we say, yeah? You know it very well. And also, you can't travel because the other a'imma will not take you serious if you haven't memorized the Quran, if you haven't at least, huh? You have knowledge of other things. That's only when you... So it shows you when he was 15, he was ready to travel. It also shows you the maturity and the mindset of Imam al-Nasai rahimahullah ta'ala. And that he also grasped ulum al-ala, the instrumental knowledge. That's what it shows you. In terms of his personality and his characteristics, an Imam al-Nasa'iyu is not your ordinary Imam. What do I mean by that? An Imam al-Nasa'iyu, in terms of life, he lived a lavish life. An Imam al-Nasa'iyu, rahimahullah ta'ala. He wasn't a person who you would consider or you would add to those who are fuqara, poor. No. He really took care of his what? His melbus, his clothing. He would wear very beautiful clothes. Rahimahullah. Sometimes he would wear green and he would say the reason is because the greenery, what does it do for your eyes? It's good for your eyes, right? And so he would say, this is a Rahimahullah ta'ala. He would also eat regularly meat. This was not common amongst the a'imma. Some of them would not get meat for Months, but he had meat daily. Rahimahullah ta'ala. And that meat had to be cooked in a specific way for him. Rahimahullah ta'ala. One of the things that were mentioned about his life, Rahimahullah ta'ala, is he, ex- he was married to four wives. And Imam al Nasa'i was what? Huh? was married to what? Four wives. And in that department, the scholars, they said, وَكَانَ يُكْثِرُ الْجِمَعَ There was a lot. With the rights of his wife at night, Imam al-Nasai, they said he was a lot. Rather, with four wives, he also had slaves. Rahimahullah ta'ala. And some of the historians, they mentioned, he used to say, this is all from what I eat. I eat healthy. Al-Imamu? With that, he would fast one day and he wouldn't fast the next day. So he used to do the fasting of Nabilah Dawood. With that. 
But when the iftar time was ready The meat has to be ready It would be cooked for him And they used to say that he would be given A big slice of meat That was cooked in a way he liked it With that said He was an individual Who stayed away from anything that was doubtful He was a person who was what? Who stayed away from What was doubtful Some of the scholars they mentioned He used to Sit in the halaqa of Ahmed uh, Ibn Salih al-Misri Who we're going to speak about later They mentioned That he used to sit in the halaqa Of Ahmed Ibn Salih al-Misri And he used to dress very good That he got kicked out of the halaqa Because of that He would dress Wear his clothes Very well And he, and he would sit in the halaqa and stick up from the rest of the people Even his height was very long, strong and tall ta'ala. He had haybah People were respected when they saw him He was qawiyul jisma, Very strong person His face would glow even that though his beard became uh, white Because he's, he was the last one to die from the six scholars right? From the six scholars He was the last of them to die He died 88 years of age Ma'adhalik his face was young. His face was young, rahimahullah ta'ala. He was a person who turned towards Allah Azza wa Jalla wa liqbalu ala Allah ta'ala. Rahimahullah ta'ala. They mentioned, as Muhammad ibn al-Mudaffar, he said, Sami'tu ayhad mashayikhana, our teachers, bimisra in Egypt, yasifoon ajtihad al-nasai. They would describe Al-Imam Al-Nasai striving fil ibadati bil layli wal dahar. How his ibadah was at night, he prayed layl a lot. Rahimahullah ta'ala. Rahmatan wasi'ah. There's an event that we need to mention regarding Al-Imam Al-Nasai, which is that he, Al-Imam Al-Nasai, had to leave Egypt. Remember, I said the second half of his life he spent it in where? Ali, Egypt. He spent it in Egypt. But there was something that forced Al-Imam Al-Nasa'iyu to leave Egypt. Al-Imam Al-Nasa'iyu, three months before his death, I mean before he died, three months, three months and a half before he died, he left Egypt. He left Egypt. And his student, Ibn Yunus, spoke about it. But the scholars, they differed what was the reason why he left Egypt, what caused his leaving of Egypt. What made him leave Egypt? And they also differed on when he left Egypt, where did he go? So they, let, they dif, dif, differed on what? His leaving of Egypt, and they also differed on his where he headed, and where he went to when he left Egypt. Let's look at what his student said, Abu, Abu Sa'id ibn Yunus, and Al-Imam al-Daraqutri. As Al-Imam al-Hakim mentioned, that these two scholars, Abu Sa'id ibn Yunus and Al-Imam al-Daraqutni, both of them mentioned, and the person who transmitted these two scholars' statement is Abu Abdullah al-Hakim and Isaburi, that they too said, the reason why he left Egypt was, when he reached, من العلم والمكانة, he reached a level in knowledge. He started to gain a position in knowledge. 
And he's a man of great knowledge. Al-Imam al-Nasa'iyu. Hasadahu nasu Jealousy entered the people's hearts towards him. What happened? He's a man of ilm. Man of makana, position. And this went into what? It went into? It went into the heart of the scholars of Egypt with him. Not to mention, he wasn't actually an Egyptian. So he's in a country, he's a foreigner, number one. And then he's highly respected. So what did this cause? He's a, min- he's a minority. He's in- and the majority, the people of the land. And you've come here, and you're what? So this causes and places in the heart of the people what? Hasad. What does it put in the heart of people? And this is common if you tread, if you read the biography of some of the ulama, you find that this is common. This is common. وَلِذَلِكَ إِبْنُ حَجَرْ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ He mentioned this from who? Muhammad ibn Yahya al-Dhuhali towards Imam al-Bukhari. Ibn Hajar mentions this. In his kitab, Hidayat al-Sari fi tarjamat al-Imam al-Bukhari. That Muhammad ibn Yahya al-Dhuhali when Imam al-Bukhari came to Khurasan or Naysabur when he came to Naysabur he gave who? Imam al-Bukhari what? A big problem that made or was the cause of Imam Bukhari wanting to leave Nisabur and wanting to die because the people went against him. And Bukhari, when he came into Nisabur, the people of Nisabur were coming from every corner. He couldn't enter the city. And when he left, he left by himself. Or he left with a handful of people. Hasad. The same is if you look at Abu Hayyan al-Andulusi, who was a great grammarian, who is a student of Imam Malik, uh, sorry, student of Ibn Malik, rahimahullah, Jamaluddin Ibn Malik. He was a student of who? Jamaluddin Ibn Malik. Abu Abdullah Jamaluddin Ibn Malik, the author of the Alfiya. Alfiya Ibn Malik. He was his student. And so in his heart, something went in towards Ibn Malik. And then he looked, he criticized a book which the Ummah have agreed upon its greatness. Which book? Al-Fiyat ibn Malik. The scholars are, you know, they praise this book. Even he said about his book, he said, فَائِقَةً أَلْفِيَتَ بْنَ مُعْطِي وَهُوَ بِسَبْقٍ حَائِزٌ تَفْضِيلًا مُسْتَوْجِمٌ ثَنَائِيَ الْجَمِيلًا وَاللَّهُ يَقْضِي بِهِبَاتٍ وَافِرًا لِوَلَهُ فِي دَرَجَاتِ الْآخِرًا That my Al-Fiyat is better than all of the previous Al-Fiyat. He came and what did he do? He criticized it. So this is common, you really see that a lot. This will happen. But one thing I do, I do want to say is, for you to think that people have jealousy to you, is not a good trait. Let me repeat that. For you to think that people have jealousy towards you, is not a good thing. Why? Because it's a farah. It's, it, 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 it implies that you're saying that you have something for people to have jealousy of. And the characteristics of the noble person is he doesn't see that of, of himself. Huh? He doesn't? He doesn't see what or why people will be jealous of him. Are we all together? So he doesn't see why a person will be jealous of him. So he doesn't give. And that's a good characteristic. But if you think everybody's jealous of you, then that means you kind of believe in your heart 
I'm righteous, I'm good, or I'm this, I'm that, and people are just jealous at me every time. And also the reason why it's not good to think that people are jealous of you all the time is you won't take the constructive criticism that people bring. Sometimes people will bring what? They will bring good criticism, constructive, beneficial for you. And so what happens? You dismiss it on the grounds of what? Everyone's jealous. The reason why he's critical is because he's jealous. Are we all together, brothers? So it's not good to think that way. Get that rid out of get that rid of your heart. Anyways, Imam Nasa'i rahimahullah ta'ala, that was the first reason some of the scholars mentioned why he left Egypt. The second reason is because he wanted to go Hajj. And both of those reasons were present. Meaning he felt jealousy. Jealousy was, it was made in Egypt and it caused him problems. So he left. And when he left, he went to Mecca for Hajj. He went to where? Mecca for Hajj. Those do not contradict one, one, one another. Other scholars, they mention Al-Imam Al-Nasa'iyu when he came to the place of death after he did his hajj Al-Imam Al-Nasa'iyu came to Ramallah Where did he come to? Ramallah in Palestine Some scholars, they mention no, he didn't die in Ramallah he died in what? Bain al-Safa wal-Marwa in Mecca Between Safa al-Marwa he's buried there Some people said that and some scholars they said, no, that's not true. He died in Ramallah in Palestine. He died in Ramallah. And this seems to be stronger because the person who said that he died in Ramallah is his student. And Al Imam Dhabiyu he said, Hada asahu ibn Yunusa. Because Ibn Yunus, Abu Sa'id ibn Yunus is the student of Imam Nasai. He said, Fa'inabna Yunasa hafudun yaqib. Ibn Yunus is a person who's alert, he's sharp minded individual. And he took from Nasai, so he knows it better. He knows where his teacher died. But when he came to Ramallah, Al-Imam Al-Nasai, rahimahullah ta'ala, a, a problem happened to him, a fitna. This fitna that happened to Al-Imam Al-Nasai, rahimahullah, it led to him getting beaten. It, got, it led to him getting beaten, rahimahullah ta'ala, this is what some scholars they mentioned. So he got beaten in Ramallah and they said that this is where he went to Mecca and that's why he died in Mecca. Those who are saying he died in Mecca. And others are saying, no, no, no. He didn't die in Mecca. The mihna happened to him in Ramallah and he died in Ramallah. But he got beaten so badly, rahimahullah ta'ala, he became ill and he died from it. He, got, he died from that beating. And the ones who beat him were the khawarij. They beat him. And Imam al-Nasa'iyu, he was the last one from the six to die. He was the last one from the six to, to die. And the six of the scholars are on the level of his teachers. The other five. They were on what level? Martabati shuyukhihi. They're on the level of his teachers. As Imam al-Sakhawi mentions in his kitab Al-Qawl al-Mu'tabir And he, the scholars, they add him to the list of the Mu'ammarin Those who aged He didn't die yet very young How old was he when he died? 
88, that's a very, this is very old age. Anything, by the way, that's above 70 is, mashallah, it's an old age. Because the Prophet ﷺ, what did he say? أَعْمَارُ أُمَّتِي مَا بَيْنَ سِتِينَ وَسَبْعِينَ وَقَلِيلٌ مَنْ يَجُوزُ ذَلِكَ The Prophet said that my ummah will live between what? 60 and? And little go over 70. If you go over 70, you're from the little. From the few. The overwhelming majority of the people are going to die before 70. So you're going to disobey Allah for 70 years if you live? For a hellfire, Allah alam, how long it's going to take you? Rahmatullahi alayhi, may Allah have mercy on him. May Allah place him in Jannah. We're now going to go into some of the teachers of Al-Imam al-Nasa'iyu and some of his students. Al-Imam al-Nasa'iyu, his teachers, the senior teachers that he took from, the most famous teachers that he took from, we're going to mention them, inshallah, ta'ala. The first one is Qutaybat ibn Sa'id al-Baghalani. Qutaybat ibn Sa'id. Qutaybat ibn Sa'id al-Baghalani, rahimahullah. Who died in 240 Hijriya. Al-Imam al-Nasa'iyu took from him. And he is the one that Al-Imam al-Nasa'iyu narrated the most from in his sunan. He narrated from him in his sunan 677 times. And he narrated from him when he was about 15, 16, very young. Also, Amr ibn Ali ibn Bahr, Al-Fallas al-Basri, rahimahullah ta'ala. He also took from Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari, Al-Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala. Who knows when Al-Imam al-Bukhari died? Two fifty-six. And Imam al-Bukhari died when? Two hundred fifty-six. He also took from Muhammad ibn Yahya al-Duhali. Muhammad ibn Yahya al-Duhali. He took it, took from him, and he died in the year two hundred fifty-eight Hijriya. He also took from Abu Zur'at al-Razi. Abu Zur'at al-Razi died two hundred sixty-four. He also took from Abu Dawood. Al-Sijistari Who died in the year 275 275 He also took from Abu Hatim Al-Raziyu Who died in the year 277 These are the Abraz Shuyukhi And these are the Kibar Shuyukhi His senior teachers You can always go back to the recording I'm going to quickly mention those teachers and how many times he narrated from them. I'm going to mention 15 of them. The 15 um, most common narrators in which he narrated from. The first one is Qutaybat ibn Sa'id. He narrated from him 677. Ishaq ibn Ibrahim ibn Makhlad al-Hanvali. Ishaq ibn Rahuya is known as. Who is a thiqatun hafud al-mujtahid. Ishaq ibn Rahuya. He narrated from him 344 times. Amr ibn Ali ibn Baharin, Al-Imam al-Nasai, rahimahullah, he narrated from him 208 times. Suwaid ibn Nasr ibn Suwaid al-Maruzi, he's a thiqa, he narrated from him 208 times. Muhammad ibn al-Muthanna, Abu Musa al-Zaman, 
He's a thiqatun tabt. He narrated narrate from him 193. Muhammad ibn Bashar al-Abdari al-Abdi al-Bundar. Muhammad ibn Bashar al-Bundar who's a thiqah. He narrated from him Muhammad ibn Bashar how many times did he narrate from him? He narrated from him 186 times. Muhammad ibn Abdul A'la al-San'ani al-Basri 159 Ismail ibn Mas'ud Abu Mas'ud in al-Dimashqi 147 Al-Harith ibn Miskin 144 Ali ibn Hajar 137 Ya'qub ibn Ibrahim Al-Zuhri 115 Muhammad ibn Salamata He narrated from 109 Muhammad ibn Mansur ibn Dawood 108 Ubaidullah ibn Sa'id Al-Yashkuri Al-Salakhsi Nazilu Sabur. He narrated from him 108 And Ahmed ibn Sulaiman ibn Abdul Malik He narrated from 104 Those are the most common shuyukh that he has His students His students Abu Bishrin Ad-Dulabi Abu Bishr Ad-Dulabi is the student and a, and a, and a, and a, and a peer like a friend of Imam Nasai so this, this was called Aqran but he narrated from him as well Abu Awala Al-Isfrayini Abu Awala Al-Isfrayini who has the Mustakhraj he also narrated from him Abu Ja'far Al-Tahawi the author of Aqid Al-Tahawiyah the author of Aqidah Al-Tahawi was a student of Imam Nasai from his students is Abu Ja'far Al-Uqayli the author of Al-Du'afa um, Abu Ja'far Al-Nahas Al-Nahwi Ibn Al-A'rabi Abu Sa'id Al-A'rabi was his student from his student is Ibn Hibban, Abu Hatim al-Busti, the author of the Sahih, Sahih ibn Hibban, is his student. Abu al-Qasim al-Tabarani, who authored the Mu'jam, the Ma'ajim al-Thalatha, Mu'jam al-Kubra, and Mu'jam al-Kabir, Sagheer and al-Wusta. Also from his students is Abu Bakr ibn al-Sunni. This one you have to write because we need, we need him. Abu Bakr ibn al-Sunni. It's one of, his, one of his students. Abu Bakr ibn al-Sunni rahimahullah. And a lot of the times you can actually tell from a person's what? His greatness and how high he is, his students. What kind of students he has. To have these type of people, his students, is big, right? Because these are big scholars themselves. Now we're going to go into his sunan. We're going to now go into We're going to now go into the Sunan This Kitab As-Sunan What's the name of the book? There's three Common names that it's given to Sunan Nasai There's three common Names There are three what? Common names The first one is Al-Mujtaba What is it called? 
المجتبى what is it المجتبى 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 as you can see from the name is اصطفاء يعني اتقاء is اصطفاء and انتقاء right it's to select the word مجتبى means what is to what it is to select something Allah said in the Quran فاجتباه ربه his Lord chose him so the word المجتبى what does it mean to select something from somewhere we'll look we'll see where what's this selection where was it taken from we'll mention that later but that's what it means who gave it this name المجتبى are we all together who gave it uh, this name there is a Somali doctor Somali his name is called Umar Iman Abu Bakr he has a book where he called it الإمام النسائي الإمام النسائي وكتابه المجتبى مكتبة المعارف published it are we all together brothers so he talks about the kitab الإمام النسائي he said that this name is from the author himself he's the one who came with this name and he used as a proof to argue his point that he said if you go to the, the book in, within the Sunan Al-Mujtaba okay if you go to the Mujtaba within it there is a kitab called Kitab Al-Qasama Kitab Al-Qasama if you go within there you find a chaptering where it says Babu ma jaa fi kitab al-qisasi min al-mujtaba from the mujtaba so within the book the author calls it from the mujtaba and we, the content in the book is the author's content so he used the word what? mujtaba so the name came from who? Aliman Nasai himself but this kid he argued back to the doctor on the grounds and the basis of what? First of all, the nusakhs and the copies of Sunan Nasa'i are different. And is this present in the, all the riwayat that are narrated from Imam Nasa'i or is this from the riwayat, a riwayat that a particular student has in his copy? That needs verification. That's another mas'ala. Number two, the second name that is given is As-Sunan Sughra. As-Sunan As-Sughra. As-Sunan As-Sughra. That's one of the names it's given. The scholars that gave it that name is Al-Imam As-Suyuti and Ibn Umad. As-Suyuti, Jalaluddin As-Suyuti, he called it Sunan As-Sughra. And Al-Imam As-Suyuti he also called it Sunan al-Sughra the third name that it's given is Sunan al-Nasai Sunan al-Nasai the Sunan of Imam al-Nasai that's the third name it's given and that third name is what's on the copies that are published now like the overwhelming majority of the books you find Sunan al-Nasai Sunan al-Nasai Sunan al-Nasai 
even the Tab'a of Daru Ta'seel and others, they mention Sunnah Nisa'i. Are we all together? Some of the scholars, they called Sunan Nasa'i, they called it As-Sahih. Called As-Sahih. They called it what? From them who called it As-Sahih is Ibn Manda. Ibn Manda, he called it Sahih. Ibn Sakan, he called it As-Sahih. Abu Ali al-Naysaburiyu, he called it As-Sahih. Adara Qutni, he called it As-Sahih. Ibn Ali, he called it As-Sahih. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadiyu, he called it As-Sahih. And Al-Imam al-Zahabiyu called it As-Sahih. And that's not correct. وَمَنْ عَلَيْهَا أَطْلَقَ الصَّحِيحَ فَقَدْ أَتَى تَسَاهُلًا سَرِيحًا وَمَنْ عَلَيْهَا أَطْلَقَ الصَّحِيحَ فَقَدْ أَتَى فَقَدْ أَتَى تَسَاهُلًا صَرِيحًا Anyone who calls other Bukhari and Muslim Sahih and of course Ibn Hibban's kitab and Al-Imam Ibn Khuzayma's kitab anyone other than those books who try to call it الصحيح فَقَدْ أَتَى تَسَاهُلًا صَرِيحًا has come with so much leniency like Hazan is not precise in what they are saying. Okay? So there's no... It's not accepted. She just call it what? Sahih. Here is another question. When the name Sunan is used, what is, what is referred to it? When we say Sunan Nasa'i, why would we ask this question? Why would we ask this question? Al-Imam al-Nasa'i has two sunan. How many sunan does he have? He has two sunan. Al-Imam al-Nasa'i has what? Two sunan. He has a big one and he has a small one. Are we all together, brothers? Al-Imam al-Nasa'i, how many sunan does he have? Two. Are we all together, brothers? And, um, and he has a small one. Big one and a small one. So when you say Sunanun Nasai, does it go to the big one? Or does it go to small one? This is the question. If you just say that, Sunan Nasai. Does it go to the small one directly? Does it go to the big one? This is a dispute amongst the scholars. This is a dispute amongst the scholars. Some of the scholars, they, they said that it's meant by the big one. Some of the scholars, they said that. Like the Indian scholar, Abdul Shams Al-Abadi, rahimahullah ta'ala, the author, explainer of Sunnah Abi Dawood, Unul Ma'bud. Abdul Azim Al-Abadi, Shamsul Haq Abdul Azim Al-Abadi. He mentions that it's referring to the big one. Huh? That's the view he took. The Somali Sheikh, the Somali doctor, what did he take? He took that it's also the big one. The second view is it means the small one. And the scholars that push that view is Tajuddin Suki, Suyuti. Abu Tlib Siddiq Hassan Khan and Muhammad Al-Kittaniyu and also Ibn Asir Al-Jazari is kind in his Jam'ul Usul it's like he leans towards that opinion as well 
he leans to that opinion as well. Why? Because when he says Sunan Nasa'i, he only brought the Mujtaba in there and he didn't bring the Kubra in there. He brought the small one, not the big one. Okay. What's the strongest opinion? The strongest opinion is you can't really say it's this one or that one. It's depending on what land which one was most common. Some places in the world the Sunan al-Kubra was very well read and it was read and it was the Asal and this is what the people would go to and no one really looked at the Surah. So and of course when they say Sunan which one are they referring to? The Kubra. And some scholars the, no one reads the Kubra and everyone reads the what? Sura. And so this is the one that they're referring, they're referring to. So, Adam al Qat'i fil Mas'ala. You can't clearly just say it's this one or this one. Because the matter is Amrun Nisbi, such a subjective observation. It's subjective. It depends where you are in the world and how it's read. Okay? Today, if you look at it, the majority of places, are, or a lot of the places, I can't say majority because I didn't do Ihsa. Uh, but a lot of the times when you hear Sunnah Nisa'i is being explained, it's meant which one? The small one. Like Al-Imam, and the great scholar of our time, Muhammad Ali Adim al-Ethiopi, the Ethiopian sheikh, the great noble sheikh, who's ill right now, may Allah cure him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He explained Sunnah Nisa'i. What did he do? He explained Sunnah Nisa'i in 44 volumes. In 44, but it's only the small one. What is it? I don't know. 44 volumes, when I say it, is that two volumes is in one. So if you count it, it becomes 20, something like that. It becomes 22. Huh? But it's in one volume, there's about two volumes inside it. And he called it the Khiratul Uqba fi Sharhi. Al-Mujtaba, something like that. al uqba Very good kitab. Question now is how many books did I mention? The big one of Al-Imam Sunnah Nasa'i and what? Okay, the small one is the one that's called Al-Mujtaba. The small one is called what? Al-Mujtaba. The small one is called Al-Mujtaba. That's the name it has. Are we all together, brothers? What's the small one called? What did I just say Al-Mujtaba means? Selection. Are we all together, brothers? Selection. And it's to choose. Here the scholars asked, Is the Mujtaba from Al-Imam Al-Nasai or is it from his student Abu Bakr ibn Sunni? Why would they ask that question? The Kubra, everybody agrees that it's from Imam al-Nasai. The big one is Imam al-Nasai. But did Imam al-Nasai come and select a hadith from the big one and make a small one? Or his student did the selecting? Are we all together, brothers? Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? So they all agree the Kubra is by Imam al-Nasai. Like in the Sughra, did Al-Imam al-Nasai 
go and take all of these ahadith out? Or did his students do this for him? There are two views regarding this issue. The first view is the one who authored the mujtaba is not Imam al-Nasai. No, it's not. It's Abu Bakr ibn Sunni, his student. He's the one who did this. And he's one of the narrators of Imam al-Nasai's Sunan al-Kubara. He narrated the Sunan from him. Are we all together? And he did the picking and the choosing. This is what they said. Who, put, who pushed that view? This view is pushed by Imam al-Dhahabi, um, Tajuddin al-Subki, Imam al-Dhahabi who died a year, 748. Tajuddin al-Subki who died a year, 771. Ibn Nasir al-Din al-Dimashqi who died a year, 841. And Imam al-Dhahabi who said, min sunanuhu, he says that in his ala min ubala, that it's from Abu Bakr ibn Sunni. Rather, Ibn Dhabi rahimahullah ta'ala refuted Ibn Athir, who's on the other side. Ibn Athir, what did he say? He's of the other view. Al Imam Dhabi refuted him and he said, Hada lam yasih. That's not true. Ibn Athir, Al Jazari, you're wrong. Hey, what is it? The mujtaba is what? It's actually the selection of Abu Bakr ibn Sunni. He's the one who did this, not, not, not Nasai. The second group, the second group of scholars, they say, no, Nasai himself wrote this book. Are we all together? The second group of scholars, what are they saying? Who wrote it? And Imam Nasai wrote it. Brothers, you guys may find these information irrelevant. Maybe, sah? Don't. Don't. This is vital information. This is your source of legislation. You can't run somewhere and say, Al-Imam Nasai narrated this hadith and you don't even know. It's a book. And you don't have no knowledge of it. And then somebody questions, are we all together, brothers? And doubt is open. These are information you need to have with you. Especially the increase and the growing of the Orientalists and the doubts that are open on our source. Are we all together? It's important to have every rock to lift it and say, what's under here? Does that make sense, brothers? And look at every information. It will be so beneficial for you to learn it. Wallahi, we're in, I'm leaving off a lot of information because I read a lot of books before I come to a class. I read two or three books. But then when I come, I'm only told to teach this person's biography and his what? And his book for what? Only one hour. And then someone from Kelly is at the back and they say, or sometimes they write on a 15 minutes left, 10 minutes left. The point is, this information is vital, brothers. It's very necessary that you know it. So the second group of scholars, they said, the mujtaba is written by Imam al-Nasai. He's the one who selected it. But within the second group, they grow up, they broke into two groups. The ones who said it was written by Imam al-Nasai, they, amongst themselves, they broke into two. Am I making sense? Yeah? So the first group of scholars, what did they say? The mujtaba is written by who? 
Abu Bakr ibn Sunni. And the second group of scholars are saying is from whose works? Al-Imam al-Nisa'i himself. They broke into how many? Two. They broke into two. The first one, A, and then the majority, they said, Al-Imam al-Nisa'i, he took it from his Qubra, the big one. So the second party, they all agree Nasa'i is the one who wrote the Mujtaba. Okay, yes, we all agree. But they're differing, where did he take it from? They're differing where? Where did he take it from? Some are saying, he took it from the Sunan Al-Kubra. He read the Sunan Al-Kubra. And they mention a story that Ibn Khayr al-Ishbiri, he has a fihrasat. Ibn Khayr al-Ishbiri has a fihrasat. I advise you to buy this book. He mentions that in all of, his, all of his narrations for books and riwayat and the marruyat that he has. And his tabat. Anyways, he mentions a chain from himself. He said, up to uh, Abu Ali al-Ghassani. That Imam al-Nasa'iyu, rahimahullah, he has in his mujtaba, Oh, sorry, that Imam, sorry, Imam al-Nasa'iyu in his mujtaba, when he, when he wrote his kubra, the big one, Imam al-Nasa'iyu, when he wrote his kubra, he was questioned, he was asked, Is everything in there sahih? It's kubra, the big one that he wrote. Is it all authentic? Imam al-Nasa'iyu said, no. No, it's not all authentic. And then they said to him, Faktub lana, choose. I'm a right for us. As-sahiha minhu. The authentic ones from the Kubra. Take it out mujarradan. Put it aside for us. Are we all together, brothers? Does that make sense? This is the Kubra. Take all the authentic ones that you believe are authentic and write it. Are we all together, brothers? So what did he do? Fasana al-mujtaba. He authored the mujtaba. Are we all together, brothers? So they said, this is Imam al-Nasai, and where he got it from is the Qubra. That's the first group. This is the overwhelming majority. Jumhur believe this. Are we all together? And if you go to the Jam' al-Usul by Ibn Athir, he explains there, and he brings the story, and he talks about it there. The second group of those who say Imam al-Nasai was the one who wrote it, they say, it's not from the Qubra. He never took it from the Qubra. And where did he take it from? It's a riwayatun mir riwayati Ibn Sunni. It's a narration from the narrations that Ibn Sunni narrated from Imam al-Nasai. You see, one book has different riwayat, right? Can you not? One book can have many riwayat. This is just one of the riwayat, one of the narrations from that book. It's actually not taken from the... It's not taken from there. And their argument is, and it's the strongest in my opinion, is that there are chapters within the Mujtaba that are not even in the Qubra. Actually new chapters. And if a scholar is summarizing, what would happen normally? Like Kitabul Imani wa Sunani. Not Kitabul Iman wa Shara'itihi. The Iman and its conditions. You find it in the Mujtaba, you will not find it in the Qubra. Are we all together? And there are books within the Kubra that are not in the Surah, or not in the Mujtaba, like Kitab al-Nu'ut, and 
Kitabu Amal Yomi Wal Layla and that's not in the Surah or the Mujtaba. It's under it's actually in the it's in the Kubra. So from this the view that seems to be strongest is that it's a riwayatun min riwayat ibn Sunni. Ama it's a riwayatun min riwayat Sunnah al Nasa'i. It's one of the narrations of Sunnah al Nasa'i. That's narrated from Al-Imam Abi Dawood. Sorry, Al-Imam Al-Nasai. Rahimahullahu ta'ala. As for the discussion and bringing the evidence of both parties and cross-checking them, we won't be able to do that. And I will conclude um, uh, there. Uh, before I conclude, what I think I should mention is, what I think we should mention is the shuruh, the explanations that are put on this book. That first of all, I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm of the opinion that students should buy Darul Ta'seel for all of the six books. Are we all together? Which one? Darul Ta'seel. Buy Darul Ta'seel. I'm for that. Okay. Um, what about the explanations that are put on this book? And the first one is Zahrul Ruba Alal Mujtaba. And it's done by Al Imam Jalaluddin al Suyuti. It's actually a small explanation, it's nothing big. All he did was explain a couple of words here and there. Okay? And he didn't even speak about the chain of narrations, and it was published many times. Um, one of the explanations that are also Good to buy is At-Taliqat As-Salafiyyah Ala Sunani An-Nasai Written by the great Scholar From Shibhatul Qarratul Hindiya From the subcontinent His name is Al-Alama Abu Tib Ata'ullahi Ata'ullahi Al-Hanif Ata'ullahi Al-Hanif He wrote his one is good It's called At-Taliqat As-Salafiyyah um, it's very good It's very good to buy Also The best one so far uh, Seems to be the best Is Zakhiratul Uqba Fi Sharhil Mujtaba And it's written by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Ali Adam al-Ethiopi al-Walawi Zakhiratul Uqba It's called Zakhiratul Uqba Fi Sharhil Mujtaba and Sheikh Muhammad Ali Adam the Ethiopi, what he does is, if you buy his books, like for example, he has Sharah on Sunan Nasai, he has also a Sharah on uh, Sunan, uh, Sahih Muslim, has a Sharah on it. He has a, a portion of explanation on Ibn Majah, which he didn't finish. I don't know if he finished now. He also has a Sharah on Tirmidhi, which he finished, right? That Ibn Jawzi published. Uh, I think he finished it. He's, he went out for the six books. And he's an imam in every field of the deen. Imam. Arabiya, Balagha, Sarf, Nahu, Hadith, Fiqh. He's an imam. Sheikh Muhammad Ali Adim, Ethiopia. Hafidhahullahu ta'ala wara'ah. And his kitab, what it does for you is, 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 is he brings a lot of shuruh in there. Because he reads a lot. He'll bring you a lot of shuruh, a lot of explanations. Huh? My Sheikh, Dr. Ahmed Imam from Somalia. When I was in Somalia, 
I was reading on him Sharh Ilali Tirmidhi In Somalia I was reading on him Sharh Ilali Tirmidhi And I asked him about the Sharh of Sheikh Muhammad Ali Adam, Muhammad Ali Adam Ethiopi And him and Sheikh Muhammad Ali Adam Ethiopia are very close friends Sheikh Muhammad Ali when he was writing his Sahih Muslim He sent a copy to him and he said Can you look at it for me Dr. Ahmed Imam And Dr. Ahmed Imam is a graduate From the University of Jam'at Ummul Qura PhD So when I was reading on him by Ibn Rajab I said to him You know Sheikh Muhammad Ali Adam Ethiopi You were very close to him How You know how is he like and what not And also His explanations of these books of hadith He said to me His explanations of course are profound That, that is clear But he said when he was starting in Sahih Muslim He said I told him To use the best Taba'ah The best publication present For the hadith In other words Make sure you buy a nuskha nafisa, a copy that's good. So when you when you explain it, you what? You're explaining a copy that's good. And Shaykh Muhammad Ali Adam Ethiopi, from that angle, he doesn't choose the best copies for the kitab, the asal kitab. Are we all together, brothers? It's because after him, Daru Ta'sil came. Daru Ta'sil, when did it come? Daru Ta'sil, after him, they brought Sahih Muslim. So when you look at his copy and you look at Darul Ta'seer, you tend to find wordings that are what? Different. Because Darul Ta'seer is more accurate. Are you with me, brothers? So Dr. Ahmed Imam said to me, if only he did tahqiq of the kitab first and then went to what? The sharah of the book, it would have been no? superb. And this truly reminds me of something which is, there's nothing that's perfect except the book of Allah Azza wa Jalla. It's not a book on the face of this earth that you're going to find that you can say about it that falsehood cannot come to it from the front or the back. There's no book that's complete. Every book has what? I mean, Sheikh Al-Albani, rahimahullah ta'ala, if you read his silsila hadith al-sahiha and his silsila hadith al-da'ifa, you find a hadith that he made sahih, he put them in the week again because he came back from that opinion that it was authentic. And some of the... Students of the Shaykh, what they did was they compiled the tarajuat. Sheikh Al-Albani, the hadith that he came back from, that he deemed that he was wrong on. Why did he deem it was wrong? Because new books were being published. So he was finding extra chains of narrations that he didn't have before. And to encompass knowledge of everything, only it's for Allah Azza wa Jalla. Who is it for? Allahu Azza Allahu Azza wa Jalla The more you study brothers And the more you read And the more you look at things Every single day What becomes clear to you Is your ignorance You're like I was talking And I didn't even know this Are we all together brothers? Your ignorance becomes Very apparent to you Those are the explanations Of those books um, And there's much more Inshallah ta'ala That one can look at From this uh, um, great Imam, his biography and his Sunan. Um, any questions, inshallah? Huh?
So exactly, this is a very common question that people ask, which is, this book has been already explained. And then another imam comes and explains it again. And then another imam comes and explains it. And another imam comes and explains it. And every, what benefit can this... How many tafsir of the Qur'an do we have? You with me? So, wasn't Ibn Jarir al-Tabari's one not enough? Was Ibn Abi Hatim's one not, not enough? Did Ibn Kathir have to really write tafsir? Did Alibam al-Alusi have to write tafsir? Did Ibn Atiyah have to write a tafsir? Are you with me brothers? Did these scholars have to come and write tafsir books? Yes. La shaka. Why? This actually shows us the gems in this religion doesn't end. Just gems. That it's so deep that to mention it one person cannot do it by himself. So everybody when he pushes deep, another one's going to go deeper. Also, some of these ahadith, they need current applications. I'll give an example. You have the kitab Bulughul Maram. One of the best explanations of Bulughul Maram today is the Minhatul Alam. Minhatul Alam by Sheikh Abdullah ibn Salih al-Fawzan. One of the best. What is it called? Minhatul Alam. I think it's 10 volumes, taqriban. Darim Nujozi published it. There's some mistakes in the copy, if you look at it, but like in the kitab, is amazing. And the mistakes I'm talking about is Akhta' Matba'i, not something with the author. When it got published, some mistakes, the publishing house, they did a couple of mistakes. Like in this is one of the best, if not the best in my opinion. One of the best explanations is Subul Salam by Amir al-Sanani. The point here is, you have the Sharah of Abdullah Bassam. Are we all together? Who's the student of who? Abdurrahman Nasir Saudi. The Miza, the, the unique thing that you find from this one and you don't find from this one is, like for example, Abdullah Bassam's Sharah of Bulugh al-Maram, he brings for you the current issues that the Muslims are facing, like the ruling of IVF. You guys, you all know what IVF is, right? What's the ruling in the Sharia regarding that? It's a current issue. The hadith is there. Hadith Jabir is there. Kunna na'zil wal Quran yanzil. We used to do courses interruption whilst the Quran would come down. And here this hadith requires a current application. So some of the scholars, what they would do is they would take that hadith and they would give it a, a explanation of this time that you live in at. So his kitab, the miza for it is, it gives you the majam'u fiqiyah, the rulings and the, the positions that they've, they've taken. Like he'll say, uh, Azhar, this is the qarar, this is the decision Azhar, Azhar reached in this fiqh issue. Hey, tikbar ulama, this is what they said. Rabidat alim al-islam, he said this. Which you would have to go out of your way to research, it's already there for you. Are we all together about this? So what I mean by this is that, each kitab, when you read it, it will tackle issues from different angles. It's like the concept of if somebody doesn't understand their cup is half full, he may understand their cup, cup is half empty. People understand things in different ways. You may like this sharah and it suffices you and it gives you all you want and you probably took so much out of it. But another person, this one may, may not do it for him, this one may do it for him. Another th- reason why scholars would keep writing an explanation is 
the standard of language weakens over time. And Imam al-Nawawi's Arabic was the, the, the formal, strong Arabic. Lakin when you come to today's standard, people are using a more simpler, easier Arabic. Are we all together, brothers? Like, for example, when you read the tafsir of who? Uh, uh, Nasr al-Sa'di It's like you're drinking water So easy So so easy If you read Ibn Uthaymin's tafsir of the Quran It's so easy It's like you're drinking water It's nothing complicated But when you go to the tafsir of the Ibn Kathir And you go to Alusi and others They bring technical terms They speak technical He will not So the standard of the language is different Does that make sense? That's the reason why it's, uh, it's scholars are all coming together and then do that. And another thing, uh, Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti said when he wrote his tafsir book, his Abwa'ul Bayan, he said that this tafsir writing it, it's a reality of the principle of the scholars which is وَكَمْ تَرَكَ الْأَوَّلُ لِلْآخَرِ How much have the early generation left for the, the late generation? I mean, they left a lot, of, a lot of things for us that we can still explain and we can still talk about. Huh? And that the chapter of Ijtihad, independent reasoning, is not closed. Ibn Salah he said Ijtihad is closed. Amir Salani wrote a kitab that Ijtihad is not closed. Are we all together, brothers? Now. Okay, remember Imam Nasa'iyu when he, when he writes a book The question is what, did, what do I mean by That the Mujtaba is a narration From the narrations of the Sunan What does that actually mean? What it means is that The Sunan A lot of the students heard from Imam Nasa'iyu Isn't that the case? More than one person narrated the book from him if I author a book today, somebody may read the book and say, give me an ijaz on the book. And they narrate it from me. Abdurrahman read the whole book on me. So then somebody narrates it from him. You may have narrated the book from me, and then another person narrates it from me, and another person narrates it from me, another, and your copies are all different. Why? You narrated it from me the early stages of my book. This person narrated it from me when it fully developed. Another person narrated it from me huh? when I tried to take out some narrations. Does that make sense? So it's just a narration from those narrations that are out there. And it's not a new book. It's a narration from the Sunan al-Kubra. It's one of the narrations. That's what it is. Inshallah, let's start the fiqh, inshallah ta'ala. The second. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. Astaghfiruka wa